you don't know, I'm Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my honor to be able to preach and, and just to bring the word today. Um, how many of you have ever been? My, my wife, I remember years ago, she, she went through something where we were on a bike ride together. My wife loves to ride a bike. Usually even now, now that it's summer or at least warm-ish, um, she's 6 a.m. on her bike riding 10, 15 miles every morning almost and doing her thing, and she absolutely loves it. I remember, though, years ago, she was on a bike. This is over a decade ago, and we're riding together, and she hit a curb the wrong way, and side of leg hit asphalt and just removed all skin. Right? I remember doing that on rollerblade. You remember in the 90s where there was a rollerblade thing? That was, I, was, I looked so cool. I like had my inlines, and I was coming down the street, big hill. I tried to turn. Inline skates don't turn very well, and I just, all skin removed. Um, you've all been there, yes? Hey, nobody says that was a good day. Nobody says, hey, you know what I want to do later today? I want to go jump on my bike, and I want to just wipe out and remove a lot of my skin and have asphalt all in my body. Anybody said, well, who woke up this morning going, I want to do that? Nobody does that. However, so the, the reason I tell you this is important, because what we know about this, this is the word of God. It's the perfect, infallible word of God. That's what you got to get. That's the reason a lot of people, when I'm around and out and about and I'm talking to people, is I can automatically know that if this rules their life. So this rule, this dictates my life. And for some people, it doesn't. And if you surrender any of it, you surrender all of it, right? If you say, well, this is all good except for this part, what that means is somebody else can say the same thing. So now none of it matters. And so this, so it's about God's love, it's about God's grace, it's about God's forgiveness. But guess what we all are? We're all sinners. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. Now, you know, I'm going, oh, that's defeating. Well, you, you are. You're a sinner, but we have God's grace and love and forgiveness. And that, that's, that's good. And so if you don't recognize that you're a sinner, you don't actually appreciate what God has done for you. I'm trying to give you language here for the world. If you don't recognize that you're a sinner, you don't actually value what God has done for you in the giving of his son, the perfect lamb of God, in order to redeem and renew you, to give you life, to give you a sense of purpose, so that he, for, for eternity you're worshiping him. You don't understand that. So that's why today we, we know that as sinners, that's when this can be a bit abrasive. It can be asphalt on the skin. And there's a lot of people who don't like that. All right, Pastor? You know, I, I've heard this a few times in my life. You really rubbed me the wrong way today. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to preach the truth. I'm not trying to add my opinion or my preference. I'm just trying to preach the truth. Because we also know that 2 Timothy 3.16, I'll show this to you. In fact, let's go ahead and stand for this. Because this stuff can make us really uncomfortable. This is one passage I want to share with you. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for what? And it's good for what? And for what? Oh, we don't like that part, do we? I, how, okay, let's be honest. How many walked into the worship service today? You're like, I can't wait to be corrected. Yay. Anybody walked in like that? No. We want to be built up and told how glorious and how awesome we already are. You're awesome because of what God did through his son for you. Hear it clearly. And so it can rub us the wrong way. It can be like friction. It's like sandpaper. 
It's like, oh, can you just let... But we know Scripture is breathed out by God for pro, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in what? Righteousness. So when we gather, when we open up the Word of God, what we're doing is we're saying we want to be trained in righteousness. We want, we want to be mature enough. This can be hard. To be mature enough to invite correction. But that's why I say mature leaders invite what? Accountability. All those things that we have around here, they're all just based in Scripture. That's all they are. Mature leaders invite accountability. Like, we want to know. Like you, and I know that it can be like sandpaper, and it makes you uneasy. And so here what we get to do is today we're going to dive in. Finally, we're in Hebrews. We're in the last chapter of Hebrews. Started in September. Starting the last chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13, today. I hope you're, are you ready for the Word of God today? Yes? I don't believe you. But um, <laughs> Hebrews, the author is writing to a bunch of people, and he's making them a, bu- a bit uneasy. That's why I still have you standing up. I want you to be a little bit uneasy. I had uh, somebody, um, I was at another church. We had these things that were wooden. They're called pews. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about, anybody? Okay. So we had pews, and I saw these people. They had been coming to the church, and I saw them out and about one time, and I was like, oh, it's so good to see you again. I haven't seen lately. Let us know. Like, oh, well, we actually aren't coming. You know, the pews are just really uncomfortable, which really means your, your preaching is lacking um, or something like Because I'm like, really? But, like, we just want comfort, and we don't like things that make us. They said pews, so I'm going to have to go with it a little bit. Um, what, what we recognize is we don't like anything that makes us uncomfortable. It's sandpaper. But this will always be a form of that. Now, there's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. You've got to remember that. But for the sinner, which we all are, it'll always rub us at some point. Like, oh, that feels, that's, that, that one stung. But, friend, you've got to remember, you've got you to get this. If you give up any of this, what you've said is all of it is up in the air. So I know that I'm going to rub some the wrong way today. But I love you. And God loves you. And there's always grace, love, and mercy. Amen. There's forgiveness, yes. And so I'm inviting you to embrace the correction today. I'm inviting you to be sharpened by the word of God. But also to be encouraged by the word of God. And so that means that I might call, like, I'm just saying, some of you are going to be like, I'm out of here. No, no, no. If you, I don't care how bad you have to go to the restroom. I will call you out if you leave during the middle of the sermon. <laughs> I'll be like, where are you going? I got to go. I'm like, no, you're going to get sandpapered. Um, invite God to teach you today, to grow you today. Because here's Hebrews. He's giving instruction. The author is giving instruction to the believer the Jewish believer, he's writing to them and he's giving them instruction on how to live life. He said, man, you guys need to be loving each other in such an intense way. And I know that the world, the society is telling you to give up all this stuff about Jesus, but don't give up the stuff about Jesus. You have to understand this. 
He's saying the, the, the reader knows that the primary basis and the foundation for everything is understanding what Jesus has already done. And so he's like, you can't surrender Jesus in any form or fashion and know that what he has done dictates the rest of your life. That's what guides you and instructs you and, and shows you the way. And so he's telling them, don't give up on this fact. And so Hebrews is helping us know how we should live as somebody who already understands what Jesus has done for us. That's what Hebrews does. Do you know what Jesus has really done for you? And you don't. If you don't, think that you're, if you don't recognize you're a sinner, you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. He died for you, the sinner so that all who might believe may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that all who believe may not perish, but have everlasting glasses. Life. That's what we got to understand. So this is Hebrews chapter 13, 1 through 6. I got to get going. I'm already going to be late. This is going to be great. Um, just get used to parking problems. Okay. Underlying part, you call out as best you can. And today you start, so you have to set the tone. Ready? One, two, three, go. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are the body. And let the marriage bed be undefiled for God's will, right? For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, This is the word of God and you can finally be seated. I want you to be a little, we're going to be a little uncomfortable today. But that's okay. Because we know what grace is and we have forgiveness. And hopefully you're going to understand we want to be here to pray with you and to support you and to help you to live a life of righteousness. So here's the writer and he calls out, let brotherly love continue. One more time, say that. Let brotherly love continue. It's a great memory verse for you. It's, it's not much more complicated than Jesus wept. Okay, so go memorize this. Let brotherly love continue. And he's writing to Jewish believers, and he's letting them know, hey, if you want brotherly love to continue, this is what you need to do. Because some of you are sacrificing. You're giving up on some of these things. And when you start to give up on some of these things, you start to sacrifice these things, you have real issues. You have real problems. And so here, the, the writer is jumping in, and philea, uh, philea is the word here. Now, here, here's what I want to do. Four types of primary uh, speaking in Greek, four types of love. I'm going to call them out really fast because you need to know some of the differences. Um, all right, you ready for that? Eros is one. Eros, E-R-O-S, it is an, an erotic love, a sexual love. Storge is another one. It's a family love, love between a parent and a child type love. Agape love is the most powerful word for love because it's, it's God's love toward us. And it's, some of us really struggle with agape love because we have to understand that we can't do anything to earn it. Like, it's God gave it to us. He's like, I'm going to love you no matter what. You can't do anything to earn it whatsoever. 
You don't deserve it at all. It, it never demands or it expects any type of repayment. That's agape love. It's really remarkable. So that's a godly love. And really because of agape love, we step in um, and we step into a word, really, you've heard of Philadelphia. It's a city of what? There's, there you go in Greek. Now, I'm not, I, maybe some of you are from Philly, but I've never heard anybody say that's really true of Philadelphia. <laughs> maybe it is. I hope it is. Um, but here's this word in Hebrews 13.1 that's describing this love of just brotherly friendship. It's affection. It's a deep, deep bond that you have with one another. And it's a love amongst believers. It's where you're willing just to fight for each other. This, this last week, I ran up to Connecticut and to Massachusetts to meet with a lot of churches that we're pouring into. And in doing that, I saw one of the, I used to live in Connecticut. And so there, there was a guy that I got to meet up with. I baptized him, officiated his wedding a couple years after that. Like, it was just amazing to connect with him. It's like we just picked, right, picked up right where we left off, right? Because of the bond that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's such a rich thing. I ended up later on baptizing his mom and just all these different cool stories that come out of that. And it just, we, we saw each other, we embraced. We're like, I can't believe this is awesome. As a result, a couple of nights later before I flew back, I had dinner with his family and I got to see his kids and pray over them. And it's just so cool to recognize what brotherly love does for one another. The love between believers is powerful. And so here he's talking about that type of love. And he's, he's very aware that one of the reasons that the believer is stepping away from their understanding and just giving into society, one of the primary reasons that they're stepping away from their faith in Christ and no longer speaking about it because the society is saying, quit making so much about Jesus, is because they don't have the support of brothers and sisters in Christ to stand strong because they're not actually engaging it. We have no different problem today. The majority of us is saying, I want to live for Jesus, and we end up surrendering Jesus at some point because we don't have the community, we haven't stepped into the community that we need to support us. We need brotherly love. We need to care for one another in a deep way and an affectionate way where we're, we know that we're here to pray for each other and support one another. So he, he recognizes this. The author is calling this out. And what you see is in the next few verses, it's not many, but you're going to see four things that I think he calls out. He says, listen, you need to let brotherly love continue. And if you want brotherly that love, that deep, affectionate love for one another to continue where you can support each other and be encouraged by one another, then there's a few things you best be doing and you best stop giving up on. So here's the first thing. And again, this, these things might be a little bit abrasive today, a little bit of sandpaper. But here's what he says. Verse one, let brotherly love continue. Verse two, do not neglect. So if you want brotherly love to continue, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So yes, the very first thing that they need to do is to make sure they show hospitality. And I'm not talking about hospitality toward your friends. Hospitality is far more, please hear, hospitality is far more than you being nice to somebody that you're already re really good friends with. You bring them in, you make sure the table's perfectly set, right? You give them a really good meal, you give them chocolate chip cookies, which is a sign of holiness and righteousness, and then you send them on their way because you treated them awesome. Those are people you already know. 
Okay, so when you look at when it says hospitality here, you need to know and understand that the word hospitality in Greek literally means love for strangers. It's how you treat the stranger. It's how you treat somebody who you don't already know. Living in West Michigan now, this is literally, this week marks eight years I have lived in West Michigan, a place I had never visited previously. Um, and so I, I look at it and I go, one of, the, one of the coolest things about West Michigan is the bond of family is really tight in West Michigan. One of the hardest things about West Michigan is that the bond of family is really tight in West Michigan. where you know what you're doing every week, you know who you're going to hang out with, and you don't even consider the fact that God may be wanting you to welcome in strangers. And yet the Word of God, we believe in the fullness of the Word of God, yes or no? Do you really believe, no, do you really believe that this is the Word of God? You're telling me that the God of creation gave us this and that we sometimes are flippant and we just throw it aside? So I want you to examine if you really believe that. Because what we've learned, I've learned by being in West Michigan is family is deep here, right? But man, we don't even consider what what it would look like to welcome in strangers. And yes, sometimes welcoming in strangers means you don't have as much time to spend with the people that you already see anyway. But they knew that they needed one another because even in travel, they would bring them in. In fact, the, the hospitality of Christians towards strangers was so great, people started to take advantage of it over and over again. So they had to be careful about it, but they just knew that they'd rather be taken advantage of and show the grace of God rather than to be bitter in spirit. Oh. That's why our posture as a church, guys, we, we help people, thousands of dollars a month, like a lot of people, because of your generosity with our benevolence offering and everything else, we help a lot of people. I'm not talking about the missions money, I'm talking about just what we do locally to help people and to try to, to come alongside of them through difficult times. And some of them take advantage of us. And we're going to keep helping We're going to keep helping. And he's letting them know, guys, one of the reasons you're giving up so quickly on this whole thing of staying faithful to Jesus and letting your brotherly love continue is because you've given up on hospitality and you need to make sure that you're stepping into this hospitality because you need to be caring for strangers as much as anything else. Here's an, another way I was telling you as I was on this trip. you got these pastors that we're helping. We're helping about 50 churches in Connecticut. You're going to start seeing more and more of those leaders and pastors coming here on this stage. I'm going to introduce you to them. And we're going to pray over them and see how God is wanting us to help support them. All right? We literally, okay, this is literal, literal. We have as many people who call this place home as those 50 churches do collectively in the entire state of Connecticut. But God loves those people too. God loves those people too. And there's, a, there's something, you've got to go back a slide. When you begin, go back to that side. When you begin, you know, go now, keep going. When you begin, it says, when you begin to care. Yeah, there it goes. This is what we have to understand. When you begin to care for the soul of the person you don't know as much as the person you already love, you begin to understand the heart of God. 
Remember, hospitality in Greek, care for strangers. When you begin to care for the soul of the person that you don't even know as much as the person that you already love, you begin to say the love of God because that's what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. He said, I love you and adore you no matter what. But we don't really, if we're, this, I told you, abrasive, a little bit of sandpaper today, we don't really care that much about the people around us if we don't already know them. So when we get so enamored with just who we already know, and this is my family, and I have to have it just right and control it and make sure everything, if they don't come over for dinner, what's wrong? Maybe God is wanting to open up your calendar a little bit so that you could actually have a love for the stranger, the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, and your heart hurts and breaks for them as much as the one that already knows the Lord. So he's telling them, if you want brotherly love to continue, you better recognize this. Second thing, not only do we need to show hospitality if we want brotherly love to continue, we need to remember those in chains. Boom. There were already a lot of people who were in chains then because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they had to remember them, right? You know, I tell people all the time, back then when you were arrested for sharing your faith in Jesus, and if you were arrested... Back then, prison was pay for your stay. It's a simple way to think about it. You had to pay for your stay. I tell you what, that would help us a lot as a culture. If you had to go to prison, you had to pay for it. Whew. Can we please implement that? I want to run for president. Let's go. Right? No, do not. And if I find that you prayed about that, I will find you. Like, I'm like, but wouldn't that help? Like all of a sudden, they had a pay-for-your-stay mentality, and you're going, wait a second here. That's why Paul speaks about the partnership that they had. Even in Philippians, uh, in, in the city of Philippi, those people were helping them, and Phoebe and other people were stepping in at other times and helping people. Uh, they had to help and encourage one another. And so here he's saying, man, if you really want this, brother, you've forgotten those people who are actually in chains right now in the Middle East. Right? And that's why I refer regularly to the persecution that's happening around the world because right now there's persecution that's taking place right now people are in prison for their faith right now people are dying for the faith and you're not even remembering them because you've get like what are you doing you want brotherly love to continue and yet you have forgotten the people who are giving up the most in order for the gospel of jesus to be proclaimed come on you want brotherly love to continue? You got to do this. You got to make sure you're showing hospitality. And that means to strangers. And if you don't really know me, I like brisket. Invite me over. I'm like, you got to show love to strangers. What else do you have to do? You got to make sure that you're remembering those in chains. Next thing. Third thing. So that's verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as in prison with them. Verse 3, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Honor, marital, love. You've given up so many today. They don't understand what it is to really be in a biblical community because they've sacrificed a biblical understanding of marriage. So this is where I've got, I've already told you, 
I told you sandpaper, right? Give me a brace. Hear me say this. We love you. We care for you. We want to walk the journey with you. We really do. But friends, our society has dictated what we understand about marriage rather than the word of God. And this is where some of you may want to get up and walk out, but please just don't hear me. Because what you must hear is we will walk the journey with you. But this passage is very clear. This is, the Bible gives high priority to the idea of a married life in the institution of family. High priority. So some people go, well, that's not fair. You don't know. This is how I am. This is whatever. It doesn't matter. God, you, you look at someone and say, listen, I truly believe in the word of God. This is what dictates my life. This is what guides my life. This is what, is what instructs my life. My preferences don't. You're speaking of preferences right now. And you do it with kindness. It says very clearly, 1 Peter, let your gentleness be evident to all. But let, letting your gentleness be evident to all doesn't mean you remain silent to a biblical truth. And so you come and you say, listen, this is the word of God. This is what guides my entire life. I truly believe in the fullness of it. That's why I asked before, do you really believe in the fullness of it? Because the word of God gives such high priority to the idea of married life, to the institution of family. And it's difficult today because many aren't married and they feel put off by an emphasis on marriage and the family and the church. But what we have done is because of our adoption of the society's views of marriage, we have slowly contaminated and polluted the idea of marriage and family. You need to be praying about the Roe v. Wade thing coming up. We may not get through Hebrews because I might be adding another sermon in, right? I'm just praying about when to do that and how to do it. Like all this impacts our understanding of marriage. Friends, you, you, can't, you can't kill a child and then say that doesn't impact a marriage, a family. It all impacts that. I'm, not, I'm just telling you truthfully, bluntly, and honestly, the word of God. We have polluted and weakened marriage in a massive way. Living, with, living as though you're married when you're not married, that weakens marriage. We need another scripture's clear about, you can go to Mark chapter 10, it's clear about divorce. God doesn't want divorce. That's not his plan. If you've been divorced, God still loves you. We still love you. And if you need help with anything, with even trying to blend families, we want to help you blend families. We're going we're gonna to come alongside of you, but that's not God's plan. That's not what he desires. And some of you may say, Joel, you don't understand. My husband or my wife, they didn't want anything to do with me. I tried for years to rectify this, and they cheated on me, and they want nothing. I, I know because of sin, and we still love you. I'm just telling you now that that's not God's plan. That's not what God desires for you. Our sin has brought all of that in. But it doesn't mean we're not loved. Some people get corrected, and they go, oh, you're being hateful. No, I'm, I'm correcting Right? We know that's the purpose of Scripture. I'm letting you know what Scripture says, but I'm telling you now we love you and we want to help you along the journey. To me, that's called letting your brotherly love continue. You picking up what I'm laying down? So you walking out of this place and going, they said that I'm wrong. You shouldn't go back to that church. No, no, I'm saying that, yes, you're a sinner. We all have made mistakes, but we love you and we'll walk the journey with you. That's a very different message. But if you don't like this at all, then what happens is you walk out telling a different story than what actually is. And we need to learn what it is to honor marital love. And part of this is knowing that the marriage bed is to remain undefiled. Sexual relationships in married life matter. 
Sex matters a lot. It does. Yes, it's for our pleasure. God gives it to us for our pleasure, but it's also uh, about one, it's, it's the primary way. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 8. Primary way for two to become one flesh. It is a big deal. And the world says that you can live together outside of marriage, that you can have sex, you can do all these different things. And we don't seem to really care. We just accept it now. Oh, okay, now when we hear it, you know, when I was growing up, you heard it and you're like, oh, now you hear it and you're like, okay. I, know, I get it. I, it matters, friends. So if you're going, well, but we, this is what I always hear. We live together because we have to because things are so expensive today. Well, I don't know how, we'll figure out as a church, we'll help you if that's the reason. God can redeem anyone from anything at, we'll help you. We will help you somehow. My son's about to go to college, you can have his room. <laughs> I'm never there anyway. But you have to help keep all my other kids. No, um, I, we'll, help, we'll figure it out. We'll help you. But listen, we have weakened the fabric of marriage and understanding. And he's like, you need to honor marital love. And you're not even honoring marital love, which is one of the problems that you have. It's the greatest problem you have probably. And we know that the word of God is very clear that marriage is between a man and a woman to be united by God. But we've made it less than that. Friends, and when we make it less than that, and then you expect God to bless it, stop. I can tell you story after story of people upset. They're like, man, I don't know why God isn't blessing this relationship more. I was like, well, you're already being disobedient to the word of God in several ways. We can go through those. So you know that you're going against the word of God, and you're living for your preferences, and yet you still want God to bless. Now tell me, on what planet that makes any logical sense whatsoever? That's like my, my kids saying, well, Dad, we're not going to ever listen to you, but we want as much inheritance as possible, and you should do this for us and this for us and this for us. No. Not going to happen. Don't ask God to bless your sin. I mean, in this passage, what you really have, you have fornicators, right? A fornicator is anybody with sexual, and sometimes the, 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 the sexual thing and the lust and all that, it's not even a physical act. It's because your heart's already been given to something or someone else. Sometimes it's to a screen. Sometimes it's to a colleague at work. But your heart's already been given to something else. You're a fornicator. That's a script like, or like, man, I've never heard this like this before. It's just the word of God. An adulterer, we know what an adulterer is, right? Not faithful to their marriage vows. And so we think about this. We go, how can we do this? Like, can I encourage you? Right? That's why we're working so hard. Andy Woodall, our pastor of marriage and counseling, working so hard. We're going to have marriage mentors for any couple who wants a marriage mentor. We're going to be walking this road with you. And we already offer the counseling and everything else. We're trying to figure out, do we offer a counseling center for the entire community with this? Right, we're doing everything we can because we see the brokenness. And it, friends, it matters. And you can restore it. You can redeem it. If you're having sex out of marriage, what I'm telling you right now is you can stop. So one day when your kids look at you and go, well, didn't you have sex out of sex? You go, you know what? We started that way, but then we stopped because we knew it was against God. And God restored and renewed it. Isn't that a better story to tell? That can be a powerful story of renewal and redemption.
So if you want brotherly love to continue, you need to show hospitality. You need to remember those in chains, and you need to honor marital love. Finally, this is what he says. Finally. It's not finally. Um, but he said, verse 5, he says, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to be free from the love of money. Covetedness is the opposite of contentment. Right? And you, we must not confuse covetedness with ambition or drive. It's not necessarily the same thing at all. But contentment has more to do with who you are on the inside rather than what you have on the outside. I mean, that's the problem. If you have any possession whatsoever, it can be multiple vehicles, it can be houses, it can be anything of possession. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not necessarily wrong. It's not. It's a matter of do you have peace and contentment even without it? This is my, this of the four, this is the one where I can sometimes always measure and have to weigh myself. That's Thursday, I stayed in Connecticut an extra day, and what I did is I just stayed, they gave me a day of prayer. Stayed by myself, middle of nowhere, and just prayed a lot for hours. For decision-making, for wisdom, for preaching, for all these different things. And I prayed a lot for my own family and what we're doing and what, where we're going and what we think God is calling us to. And I just prayed a lot for contentment. I believe, I, I am content. But this can be where we go, man, if I could just have this, if I could just have this, right? The average, there's a guy who once said, don't know who it was, but he, he said, the average millionaire, if you ask him what they need, they just say a million more. There's no contentment. Having is not the problem. It's what your heart has been given to for the contentment. And so he's like, part, you're struggling because you can't have this brotherly love because you're so consumed. That's the problem with it. On what you can have for yourself that you have forgotten about what you can do for others. And God wants for us to be content, and money can't buy that. If you're not content in what you already have, you will never be content with more. That's a, oh, it's a hard thing to swallow. Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 addresses this, right? Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Talks about, learning to live in wherever, whatever state that you're already in, to be content in what you already have. And then it says, why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can be content in what you have. That's why we butchered that verse, verse 13. God will give you the strength to be content with what you have. So we need to be free from the love of money. And then he says this, Hebrews 13, verse 6. Let's throw this up here. Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, read this out loud. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What he's telling them, he's like, guys, Jesus is enough. You're trying to find fulfillment in all the wrong things. And as a result of that, you're forgetting to pray for those who are already imprisoned. You're not even thinking about them. Like, are you, do you think about those who are being persecuted for their faith? Because if not, he's going, you guys are only focused on yourself. That's why you're, you're and part of focusing on self is you're just a lover of money and you don't ever have contentment. Contentment. 
So you're not, you're not looking at other people. You're certainly not even thinking about caring for strangers because the world will tell you today, you can't, you can't be nice to a stranger. You don't know them. But as a result, they were giving up brotherly love, a, a, a love that is biblical, that is deep and abiding and affectionate, that is amazing to walk in, that, that biblical friendship that allows us to step in and live life together. And yes, hold each other accountable, accountable but to also pick each other up and say, but I got you and I will, I will pray with you and I will walk with you through this journey, this difficulty. And those are the things that we want to do, but you have to step into that. And because you're not, you've given up your idea of biblical marriage because you just want to live for your own desires and your own, and then you're upset with God because he's not blessing you the way you want him to bless you. And I'm going, what are you doing? So my question for you is, which of these four do you struggle the most with? I, I, I would encourage you to walk out of this place today. And to ask yourself, do you, do you struggle with showing hospitality, caring for strangers? Do you struggle in praying for others who are being persecuted in prison and chains? Do you struggle with honoring marital love? And just know that what you remain silent to, you will end up concurring with. Maybe you struggle with being free from the love of money. And hear me say again, we want to help you in this. If you're in any of those situations where you're going, I don't know what to do to get out of it, let us know. Let us know. We're, we're accustomed to the messy. It's okay. So I just want to pray together. The team's going to come back out. I just want us to pray. I want to give you some time to pray, and I'll call some things out for us. And I'm going to ask that you just bow your head. And I just want to ask you to just call out to God right now, God, teach me your ways. Just pray that to yourself. God, teach me your ways. Show me that the word is good and profitable for teaching and for for correcting and Yet your grace and your love and your forgiveness is still evident. And whatever's the most difficult, pray God would help you with praying for those in chains of honoring marital love, of, of being free from the love of money and having the understanding that Jesus is enough, that contentment is found in Jesus Christ, that it's not going to be found anywhere else. Lord, I thank you for your truth. And I thank you that even though you show us paths of righteousness, they can can be a bit abrasive for us as we walk forward in life. We also are reminded that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And you called out in this passage, it says, not only that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but you say that the Lord is my helper. And so for my friends in this place right now that are struggling with this, in any regard, whatever is happening in their life, that you would remind them, oh God, that you are their helper. That you're not going anywhere. 
And may we sit in your goodness. May we confidently say, may we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Amen.